there, and welcome to the COVID-19 and Food podcast series from the Institute for Global Food Security at Queen's University, Belfast. My name is Una Bradley, and I'm the Communications Officer for the Institute. In this series, I will be speaking to our leading researchers about the effects of the latest coronavirus on food systems, food integrity, and our relationship with food. We are recording this series remotely, so please forgive any technical hitches or blips in sound quality. My guest today is Dr. Fiona Lavelle, a research fellow at the Institute. In keeping with the interdisciplinary nature of IGFS, Fiona's background is not, strictly speaking, in food at all, but rather sports science. As she progressed through her postgraduate studies, however, Fiona found herself increasingly drawn to the relationship between exercise, nutrition, and disease such as cardiovascular illness, diabetes, and childhood obesity. Her research now predominantly revolves around cooking and food skills, particularly in children. Early in her career, Fiona found there was a lack of validated measurement tools in her research area. So she set about developing metrics to build data and measure cooking skills and confidence in different populations. These metrics are now used by other researchers internationally. Her work around the significance of when a child learns to cook, generally speaking, the earlier the better, has also been influential and fed into policy recommendations from the Irish government on tackling childhood obesity. Her latest project is a geographically diverse survey of people's food habits, both cooking and eating, and whether those habits have changed since the outbreak of COVID-19. Although that work is ongoing, I'm eager to get a sneak preview of any early findings. So Fiona, welcome. And have you any preliminary overviews or indications yet of what might be happening under lockdown? Hi Una, thanks for having me. Um, I would just want first want to thank everybody who took part in our survey and took the time to do it while during this lockdown. Um, I have initial overview data from the island of Ireland samples, so I'm just going to give a few insights from that. Um, so one thing that may have may be obvious from the outset is that people are eating less takeaway, and obviously that may be because there was less takeaways available. Um, but also we found that. Um, people are preparing their dinner more frequently with fresh ingredients um, and less frequently with ready-made ingredients. Um, there's also been an increase in the frequency of consumption of vegetables, which is always a positive um, mm. aspect. Um, however, there has also been an increase in the frequency of consumption of sweets and of savoury <laughs> snacks. So that's okay. all our crisps. <laughs> um, and then speaking more generally about food practices, so kind of what are standard ones we would always look at. So, um, for example, planning ahead. People have increased their frequency of planning their meals ahead, and this may be due to the fact that they need to go to the shops less frequently. Um, but interestingly, we've seen a decrease in people having to prepare their meals ahead of time or batch cooking. And this may obviously be because people are more in their house and have more time to do this and prepare food more regularly. And then I suppose looking at the kind of COVID related food practices, 
um, we have seen an increase in the frequency of um, difficulty of finding ingredients and also um, the, an increase in the frequency of people having to substitute ingredients in recipes, but they have also admitted to an increase in bulk buying, so though that may factor into the other two then also. Um, okay. So that's just a brief overview of what we've found so far on the island of Ireland anyway. Fascinating um, early findings there, Fiona. Have you been surprised by any of those? Like I think some people might have thought that people might have been eating takeaways or processed food actually more often, um, you, you know, because so many restaurants had, had uh, turned to takeaways. But uh, it actually sounds like the picture might be a bit healthier, even despite the increase in, in, in eating sweets. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I was quite surprised by the takeaway. And then I thought about that maybe it was because towards the start of it, um, businesses hadn't set their systems up to do takeaways or do takeaways as often. So a lot maybe in the beginning, um, there was a lot of takeaways closed, so there was less options. So people then just went more towards the cooking and preparing food in their homes. Um, I was also kind of surprised about the batch cooking aspect. I thought people still might cook and prepare and freeze food for later, but obviously they prefer to do it on a daily basis. We've all heard the anecdotal reports lately of a surge in home baking and parents cooking more with their children. But apart from the obvious benefits of family bonding, why else might this be important? Well, actually, so on, from our survey data on the island of Ireland, we have found that there has been an increase in people are reporting an increase in baking and also an increase in including their children in everyday meal preparation as well as baking activities. Um, so for, for from that, I suppose, um, it's really beneficial to the children because obviously it increases, may increase their interest or also increasing their enjoyment and confidence. And then from a family perspective, um, it's providing an opportunity to spend more time together, but it's also, and this is probably a good implication at the current time, it's providing um, time away from screens. And at the moment we all are spending a lot of time in front of screens, so it has that positive benefit to it. I suppose it is also providing active time. Um, not, we're not doing laps in the park while we're cooking, but we are, um, we are on our feet and we are moving around. And again, it's away from the screens and it's just time, time on your feet and time, um, less time spent in sedentary behaviours. Um, and it's also, I suppose, from obviously from our study, we've showed that there was um, people are substituting their ingredients in recipes. So it's providing an opportunity to try new foods together and experience the new foods together. Um, and I suppose one of my, my crucial points is that you're you are providing your children then with invaluable life skills. And yes, it may be messy in the beginning and stressful, um, but you may actually be surprised by um, their abilities. And I suppose the key thing is that you're upskilling your children. So when we do return back, they will be able to help in the future and help you set up um, little parts towards making your dinner or preparation, um, easing, I suppose, the burden on yourselves. Mm. That all sounds great. I, I certainly look forward to that, Fiona. I'm not sure if my 10 year old is is uh, uh, sufficiently upskilled just right now, but um, here's hoping. But are there other maybe even more serious or more important factors that might connect greater cooking skills in childhood with health in later life? 
Um, yes, so our research has shown that like learning cooking skills at younger ages has positive dietary patterns um, seen in adulthood then. Um, it also adults who reported learning at a younger age reported higher skills in both cooking skills and food skills. So what we mean by food skills is what I was kind of talking about earlier, our food practices. So you're planning meals ahead or you're budgeting or shopping with a grocery list, those type of behaviours um, and also increasing confidence in adults um, cooking skill in their cooking. Um, and I suppose it has also we've also linked it to other positive behaviours such as less food waste. So those who were learned their cooking and food skills at younger ages um, actually wasted less food when they were adults. Mm, all, all good stuff. Um, is there any evidence to show that there is a link or there may be a link between children cooking and eating more home cooked food with illness later in life? And if so, what illnesses in particular? So obviously this is a new emerging research area and there has been links been shown between children cooking and their food preferences. So or their willingness to try foods. Uh, so especially vegetables, they do a lot around vegetable work with children um, and which then would could have a long term impact on their diet quality. And then I suppose that would lead on to potential impact on obesity or even some cancers. But obviously um, it is the same with the adult cooking research area because it is new. The area in in um, its entirety needs a str needs strengthening. So at the moment we have been working around um, cooking skills and human movement behaviours. Um, so this is we've been working on trying to develop age appropriate cooking skills recommendations for children. Um, based on some evidence, because at the moment there is no evidence based um, cooking skills recommendations. You can Google and find them, um, find certain um, recommendations, but uh, they we found from a critical review that they aren't actually based on any evidence, but on opinions of the tends to be the authors who write them. And some authors do have experience within the nutrition area or medical area. However, there is no basis of why they put specific skills in different age range is so we've been doing a lot of research on that um, with some of our collaborators um, and then we we're also working on so you talked about in my introduction about our adult measure that's been used um, globally we're now um, working on developing a children's cooking competence measure so we've been um, validating that measure and that will also help then um, so there'll be consistent measures across different interventions and that will also help to strengthen the area and then hopefully we will be able to make stronger links between the different aspects of age of learning and um, outcomes in older ages. Well what about the regional variations in, in your study? What Which countries are you looking at and are you expecting there to be regional or national uh, differences? Yes, so we were looking, we, so we have taken a sample from the island of Ireland, um, mainland UK, the USA and New Zealand. Um, we chose these countries because obviously that government policies about um, isolation and lockdown were brought in at different times and different stages within these different countries. And um, we were, were hoping then to look and see whether the impact of how long people were in lockdown um, affected their practices or if it affected their practices or if they had different changes or for countries such as um, New Zealand who may not have had um, as severe levels of COVID, um, whether their practices even changed at all. So 
We do expect to see some differences regionally, but I can't really say what direction yet. I, I've just received all the data, so I'm at okay. the cleaning stage. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's er early days still. I know this may not have been covered in your most recent project, uh, Fiona, but as a researcher generally in this area, I would imagine it's something you're very interested in, and that is the reported connection between COVID-19 and obesity and diabetes. Yeah, so I have read about some links um, between obesity and diabetes and then COVID-19 prognosis. Um, there is actually one new hypothesis put forward in a nature communication linking fat necrosis and metaflammation as contributors to COVID-induced fat embolism syndrome, which is then why they're saying that possibly could contribute towards um, the, their prognosis. Um, however, there does need to be a lot more research in this area and there are so many unanswered questions still that there, it's, it's, I would say it's very early days to put any um, definitive answers behind the links. I read somewhere the other day that um, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson feels that that may be part of why he, you know, suffered so badly when, when he came down with the virus because he felt he was a bit overweight and now he's trying to shed that extra weight um, through exercise, which brings me on to the next point, is that that might be another habit that's changing for a lot of people. Obviously, some people under lockdown have, have been very busy, especially our key workers, but for others of us, we've actually had an opportunity to exercise more regularly, if only to get out of the house. So when combined with changing habits in shopping and cooking and eating, how significant it might it be? Um, you know, and especially with your background, do you think that could be a, a very significant thing for better health outcomes? There's been a lot of research in general about exercise and outdoors and how green spaces can have a positive impact. So green spaces like a park or in a forest can have a positive impact on mental health. And obviously at the moment in general, we're, we are spending a lot more time in the home. Um, so getting outdoors could be beneficial to all our mental health. There's been a lot of COVID related research in the physical activity area about well-being and mental health. But obviously there is also the physical aspect um, to it as well. So then relating it back to our cooking and what our, what our research is saying. So if we, especially if we are baking more or having those extra treats, Obviously, it's OK, especially for morale at the moment, and it's important to enjoy food and have fun baking, but make sure to get your exercise in as well. So that would be following the guidelines or um, trying to reach your 10,000 steps, or if you can't hit that target, have, set a lower target and generally increase um, in small steps. But I suppose it's important to note that we just need to be kind to ourselves. So if you are aware that maybe some of your behaviours have changed or might be more in a negative light, you're doing less exercise or you're cooking in more what are seen as unhealthy foods or eating more treat type foods. Um, it is OK and to just take small steps and changes to try help to go back towards more positive um, behaviours. So small steps towards maybe reducing sugar um, in what you're baking or trying to get out and get your steps and enjoy the outdoor and the air while you can. That sounds like good advice, Fiona. Um, 
And of course, you know, for many people, the COVID-19 virus continues to be, um, you know, on a personal level at a time of great suffering. And obviously on a global level, it's a public health crisis. But I suppose if there's to be any silver lining to our experience of the pandemic, perhaps it is that lockdown has, at least for some people, been an opportunity to improve our eating and cooking habits and get more regular exercise. And hopefully that will translate in the medium to longer term as some positive health outcomes. So Dr. Lavelle, thank you very much for your insights today. And we look forward to hearing the final results of your research. And that's it from this episode of the COVID-19 and Food podcast from the Institute for Global Food Security at Queen's University Belfast. You can hear this podcast again and all the other podcasts in the series on our website www.qub.co.uk forward slash IGFS. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter also at QUBIGFS. Bye for now and thanks for listening. Thank you.